Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host. Thank you for tuning in today. Today is episode number 99, and uh, I don't really care. Either does my guest, actually. We were talking about it before we came on. He thought he wanted to be 100, but then we, we digressed uh, to, to being okay with 99, and maybe he'll tell you why. Some, something about hockey. I don't know. I'm not a big <laughs> hockey guy. We'll figure it out. So, as you can hear, I'm laughing in the background. I'm going to give him some crap on that. Uh, so we, we, have a, we have a runner today, and his story is not like a lot of the runners that we've had on the show. It's uh, it's pretty impressive, man. I I read a few paragraphs, um, and I was I was hooked on his story, and I can't wait to, to get to know him as a person a little bit here today. Uh, for you guys listening, if you've never been uh, a part of the Athlete on Fire podcast, basically we're we're just trying to bridge the gap between amazing athletes all over the world and yourself and myself included. I'm I'm kind of cheating here. I'm I'm getting to talk to all these guys to hopefully better my own experiences. So uh, today's gonna be no different. I'm excited to to enter introduce our guest his name is david clark david how you doing i'm doing great man glad to be here all right what why 99 we, we went over so, <laughs> so we, had, we ended up having like three or four reasons on why 99 was better actually well you know like the, the most philosophical one was that we talked about was that uh you know we learn most during the race and like mile 99 is, is probably has more to offer than mile 100 being the finish line at, at an ultra marathon but really it's more just because i'm a hockey dork and, and wayne gretzky wore 99 and he ended his <laughs> career as a new york ranger and i'm a rangers fan and so oh that's why <laughs> so on your skype uh profile pic i see a new york hat on are you from new york i am from new york oh very nice but i don't steal cars or anything i just just happen to be born there <laughs> good 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 <laughs> so if you guys are listening me me and david are actually coming from colorado i was um, I was brought to attention to your story from a listener, David. He said that I should have you on the on the show, and I reached out. and You said, "Are we doing the um?" In, in your email, you said, "Are we going to do it live? You know, live, or are we going to record it online?" And I thought you were joking because I didn't realize you lived like a half hour from me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "How are we going to do it on?" And here's why: the guy who um, who told me about you is actually from Germany. So in my mind, I was like, ah, maybe it's a German guy. So it's kind of funny. Well, you know, everything is running distance if you have enough time. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And especially, you know, we, we have so many, so many guests on the show that are runners and endurance athletes, and uh, it definitely changes your perspective. So hopefully we'll change some perspective based on your story because you have a powerful – and, and pretty unique story. And we'll, we'll dive into that. I want to get to know you as a person to start off. Um, so we'll, the, the first segment that I start with is Athlete Defined. And uh, the first question I always ask is take us back a little bit. Okay, you're 15 years old. It's a Saturday, middle of the summertime. Where are you at and what are you doing all day? Man, at 15, I wasn't doing much uh, for myself. You know, I was kind of uh, living uh, in support and service of my family. Um, my dad had started a, a business, and, and it was a family business in, in every sense, uh, meaning that, you know, everyone played a role in the business, and, and it was kind of all we, we, we did. And um, so I didn't have uh, much of a personal life that your standard 15-year-old would have. Everything seemed to revolve around working and and helping to support my family. And, and I was actually in and out of school at the time. I didn't even have like a regular school to go with. So I was uh, very much in, in limbo at that point in my time. What was the business? 
it was a commercial renovation business. Um, my dad was an electrical engineer by trade and got into plant management and some things and for some reason ended up starting a, uh, a construction and furniture and hotel renovation business somewhere along the line. Oh, That's a lot so, of work, huh? Yeah, we traveled a lot, you know, all over the country, you know, kind of chasing work and so I was kind of in and out of schools and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So it was, um, it was not your typical childhood, to say the least. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, you said you're from New York. Where were you exactly, I guess? So I was in the New York City metropolitan area. Um, we kind of bounced around a lot. Um, uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut, northern New Jersey, Manhattan. I was actually born upstate in Rochester, um, but we moved away from there when I was a kid, so... Our travels took us up and down the East Coast, um, you know, all the way down to Florida and back. But um, around that time, we kind of settled into to New York City kind of area. Yeah. Okay. What's one thing? Let's assume that you missed something back there, <laughs> since I don't know you. What, what's, well, I certainly wasn't running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, for the East Coast, I mean, living in Colorado is so much different than than uh, New York. It's just, I mean, it's bipolar. You know, polar opposites almost. Um, so is there something that you do miss from the East Coast at all? You know, I, for some reason, you know, I'm, I'm 43 now, and I've spent almost half my life in Colorado. But, I mean, I still call New York home, and, and it, there's something about that, that mentality back there that, that's just kind of interwoven into the fabric of my personality. And not in that, you know, obnoxious kind of way that everyone thinks of when they think of New Yorkers, but <laughs> just in that, like, really direct, you know, way. I, I, I always like that, um, you know that yeah. uh, you know edge to it where it's it's not really meant to be confrontational but if you're not used to living in that really direct <laughs> communication exchange it can seem confrontational oh yeah so you know but um you know i spent some time in california where it seemed like the opposite of that like no one ever said what they were thinking <laughs> it took, yeah. you know three years to figure out you know who someone is <laughs> and where they're coming from so you know colorado seems to be somewhere not surprisingly in in the middle since it's made up of people from all over the place yeah, unless you're one of the people that's actually from here yeah exactly well it's, colorado's in interesting because you you do get the direct you get there's a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of business people that are, are trying to do big things so it's got like it's got a little bit of a fast pace to it but it's laid back so the fast pace is in jeans and a in a flannel you know it's yes it's kind yeah of i like that and uh, my my buddy summed up New York pretty well. He went to he's a one of my buddies in high school. He played college baseball at Ohio State, and he's a really good athlete. And he did some modeling and stuff like a lot of a lot of these guys do. So he went to New York and did this thing. And he was like dispelling the myth that people in New York were rude. He's like, no, they're not rude. They just want to know exactly what you know want right now in this moment. That's it. They just want it right now. It's just That's fast. It. You know. I like that. That's true. It's very true. You know. So yeah. that, that's kind of cool. So, okay, take us to, to Colorado. You know what, actually, to start telling your story a little bit because I, th I think everything that you're going to talk about athletically is going to need this context. So uh, just take us into your st story. Do not if you get into if you get into cruise control, I'm going to come through the mic and start <laughs> smacking you. So if you start getting all monotone telling your story here because you've told it a million times, so you got to tell us in a unique way how, your your amazing story right now. Go for it. Gotcha. Well, first of all, I'll just say that you know we all have amazing stories, you know, and and even my story is not. I'm not the only one with with that story, you know. I just get the. Uh, I'm just really lucky enough to be able to tell it. Um, but that having been said, you know, I mean, I, I didn't grow up. Uh, in a conventional way, you know, like we kind of alluded to earlier, I, I bounced around a lot. I, I was never really connected into one community for very long. And I think, you know, kind of real 
head later in my life um, in terms of dealing with you know some other issues but uh, and I was never I was athletic I played baseball I played hockey you know I never had that super athletic body though I was I was really coordinated and I, I did well but you know I was always kind of teetering on the verge of being you know overweight and and you know husky we called it back then we even got to have jeans that that had that label on them or the husky jeans right (laughs) but um you know later in life you know 15 16 no out of my teenage years and towards college i stopped you know being active and in that teetering on the edge of being overweight you know ended up you know causing me to be very overweight and and you know in my early teens and through my 20s i was constantly going up and down you know as high as 240 250 pounds and then back down to 180 and you know kind of all over the place and um, eventually I, I, I completely, you know, fell into the abyss and ended up at 320 pounds. And, you know, I stayed there for, for many years, um, for, you know, until my early thirties and, uh, you know, along with becoming 320 pounds, you know, came a host of other, other, you know, medical kind of things that I was dealing with. And, you know, towards the end of my, uh, my frolicking at 320 pounds i had a, a heart condition and and i was pre-diabetic and i had high cholesterol high blood pressure i even had herniated discs in my spine that I, I wasn't even aware of at the time um so i was really really unhealthy and um as far as professionally i ended up going into business at a pretty young age and, and making a pretty good run at that and experiencing a you know what some people would describe as a, a high level of success you know especially for being you know, 29, 30 years old, I, I owned a chain of retail stores and, you know, we were doing $8 million a year or so in sales. And, um, you know, this kind of, all this stuff kind of came together in this way that, you know, allowed me to kind of focus on taking care of business, but really totally ignore who I was as a person in terms of my health. And, uh, I ended up, you know, addicted to alcohol and painkillers and just doing everything I could possibly do to to medicate myself away from all the stress and, and anxiety that was existing in the in the other parts of my life. So um, my trajectory kind of, uh, you know, was going in, in a bad way. And uh, at 33 years old, I changed that trajectory entirely and, um, you know, totally redefined myself and, and went yeah. on to uh, other things. Very Good. That's good because now you've you've left us lots of room, which is awesome, and uh, definitely want to get in, <laughs> definitely want to get into that. Uh, so that's we, it. There's nothing else. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> there, there's a few. There's going to be a few fun questions I have. I mean, the, one of the descriptions of you mentions a, a, a huge red beard. So we're, we're going to talk about that later on. We're going to talk about how you got got into running and then running these crazy distances. Of course, um, that's going to be a topic, and then. Let's start right now more on the personal level as well on on uh, on markers for people. So if there's somebody listening right now and um, they, they're not sure if they have an issue with with uh, substance, whether it's alcohol or painkillers, like you said, uh, but all the other things are, are pointing towards an issue, how, how can people tell? I mean, what is healthy when you're talking alcohol, when you're talking painkillers, and what's not healthy in your opinion? You know, well, my opinions really are limited to to myself. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't think that, um, especially because I deal a lot with um, addiction and counseling. And, you know, it's it's impossible to truly diagnose whether someone has a problem from the outside 
Um, but certainly there are indicators and certainly there are, there are warning signs. For me, I can tell you the exact moment when I realized or at least finally surrendered to the fact that I had a problem that was kind of, you know, outside of the normal spectrum. And, you know, addicts spend this time, you know, just trying to find out, you know, oh, maybe I just drink too much. I don't have enough willpower. I'll just change and only drink on the weekend. And, you know, you just try to always modify and, and always, you know, kind of engage in the the um, illusion that you're going to be able to figure it out someday. Yeah. But for me, it was one night I just thought, you know, my guess is people who aren't alcoholics don't stay awake late at night wondering if they're alcoholics. <laughs> and for me, that was like an incredibly profound thought. And I had been just wrestling with that for years and years and years. And, and that was kind of, you know, a, a big breakthrough for me. And that if I was going to figure it out, if I was going to be able to do it moderately, that I would have figured it out a long time ago. Yeah. And I realized that wasn't going to happen for me. You know, no, I think that's good. I think just telling how you could tell might help yeah. somebody else. And then I, I guess the, 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 the downward spiral, so to speak, like, when was your first drink? When was the first time you took a painkiller for recreation or for something other than it was, wasn't meant for, you know? You know, what's interesting about that is that I probably couldn't have answered that question accurately um, if it weren't for going through the process of writing my book. And I kind of had this, this identity that I always thought, you know, I had this picture in my mind that, you know, alcohol started as something that wasn't a problem for me. And eventually I started using it, you know, to cope and to medicate. And then at one point it kind of flipped over to where it became a problem. But in going back and, and trying to sort through, you know, what was my first experience and write it down and, and relive it, you know, I realized that my very first interaction with alcohol, which was at 13 years of age, was was probably not something most people would consider normal. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I was at a party. I had an older brother. He was 17 at the time. And I went there and there was alcohol. And, you know, I wanted everyone to think I was drinking, but I was kind of afraid to drink. So I just kind of, you know pretty normal for a 13 year old. You know, I walked around the party holding the beer and never really drank it. But after, after I left, I actually grabbed several beers and, and took them with me. And, and I went out by myself and I drank yeah. and, and I immediately like felt, you know, like, you know, uh, is this a problem? Am I, am I going to be an alcoholic because I'm drinking these four beers? You know, and I didn't even know where I'd ever even heard the word alcoholic. Yeah. But so that was my first experience. And then a couple weeks later, I went back to another party and I got so drunk, even at 13 years of age, that I was vomiting all over the house and, you know, just doing shot after shot of whiskey and, and everything that was put in front of me. And, you know, I probably didn't drink again for a couple years after that. But, you know, there was never much moderation involved in no, my drinking. You know? like... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. You know, because... Well, before we got on, I mean, I, I know you have a family. You, you have kids, right? Yes. So h how old are your kids today? I have 13-year-old twins, boy and a girl, and then I have a six-year-old girl. Oh, cool. So, I'm, yeah, so you have, th you have kids that are that age. Um, so what's the, what's the interaction when, when you talk about alcohol or, or drugs with your kids? I mean, I think the par parenting comes up a lot in this show because it's just it's part of the, the human the human. Uh, you know, human nature and how we, we deal and pe people want tips on that stuff anyway. But how yeah. do you, since you've had such an interesting, um, 
way. How do you how do you relate that to your kids? You know, the only way I can relate to them is the same way that I, I had to learn to, you know, relate to myself and, and anyone. And that's, you know, from a place of of just being authentic, you know, and, and I think when we try to, you know, control how people are perceiving us and, and kind of, you know, tweak it and and stick a toe in that, you know, I think that the message is lost in that, you know, kind of subtle manipulation. And yeah. so I just come from from the, the the only place that I can, and that's a place of honesty and, and authenticity with them. And, you know, I, I don't really hold anything back. You know, I, I don't, I'm not, you know, gratuitously descriptive <laughs> when I don't need to be. But, but you know, I, I really want them to know that, you know, I'm not going to try to control their, you know, ability to use alcohol or not use alcohol. But I want them to be really aware of what the stakes are, you know, before they get caught up in it. Because for a lot of people, it, it's it's not a problem until it is, yeah. you know. And it's just, it's like running, right? Like walking the injury line. Like you're not injured, you're not injured, and then you're injured. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that happens with kids, you know, not everyone has my trajectory, you know, sometimes people do slowly evolve into abuse and, and don't necessarily jump in uh, into the abyss like, like I've been accused of doing my whole life, but that's another story. <laughs> so, you know, I just, um, I tell them the truth of it and, um, you know, in, in, and just see, you know, kids are strong, you know, they, they understand so much more than, than we think. So, yeah. you know, I, I want them to know it was a big part of my turnaround was, you know, thinking that, you know, in my actions, in, in, in living my daily life, I was teaching my children whether I wanted to or not. And I couldn't control where I'd already been, but I can make a decision moving forward to show them, you know, what a comeback looks like. And that's a real part of the human existence, right? We all fall and we all get scraped up, but the past doesn't define us. It's what happens moving forward. I looked at where I was as actually a teaching moment and an opportunity to, to not just save myself, but to teach them and me uh, a life lesson at the same time, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I, I probably had a, a very opposite <laughs> existence with alcohol growing up. <laughs> I, so when I was 13, I think my dad was a coach, and and uh, he coached me actually at the high school level. He's offensive coordinator for the football team, the head baseball coach, sports that I played. And uh, he made a bet with me when I was 13, right before I went to high school, that if I didn't drink any alcohol until I was 21, he'd give me a 1000 bucks. <laughs> and, uh, he knew I was really competitive and I'd keep my word. So I, of course I didn't. And, you know, that's 21, uh, you know, 1920. So I did three years of college without ever tasting alcohol. And, uh, I remember being probably similar to you when you were 13, kind of scared to death that I would be addicted. Like the first time I drank it, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. As a 21 year old. Right. And so one of the big things that I always did, um, was, stay away from the word need because you would always have friends oh i need a drink oh you know after work i need this and i think even if it's um subconscious when people say that it's it definitely taps into something more um probably not doing it for the right reasons if it's a coping type thing you know i think absolutely any uh any substance abuse a lot of it comes as bad coping skills (laughs) that's why you're running now it's a good coping skill and you've taught yourself this and and your body has reacted to that so we'll We'll get into the running piece here in about two seconds, but uh, I think getting away from the need and, and for kids, I think if you can keep it from being taboo but still have a strong story behind it, that's that's the goal. Yeah. Because uh, they're, they're smart, but they're also rebellious by nature. I mean, Well, you have to be really careful, especially – I mean in, in talking about this in general, but especially with kids that – 
you really have to steer away from, you know, because you can romanticize the drunk stories too. You know what I mean? You can yeah. you can attach some ego to it and make it, you know, the wild, crazy rock star kind of I'm out of control stuff. And, you know, a lot of times inadvertently you end up, you know, turning on something in them that you're, that you're trying to turn off, you know, and yeah. you say, Oh, look at this guy, man. He like went out there and did all this crazy stuff. And, and then he eventually turned it around and I'll eventually turn it around someday too. But in the meantime, I'm going to, you know, go nuts. And so, yeah, it's something that you, you definitely have to be aware of, you know? Yeah. For sure. All right. So I'm going to take something right off your website, just one little excerpt. And then, um, you can touch on anything else from this sentence because it's pretty, pretty strong. And then, uh, and then we'll move on to the athlete piece. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is who is David Clark. It's on his website. It says his daily activities included multiple trips to fast food restaurants, drinking a bottle of scotch a day, and swallowing whatever prescription painkillers he could find. Uh, of course, he was you were three hundred twenty pounds at that time. Uh, we're talking about obesity, substance abuse. I mean, really morbid obesity. When you when you take it at that, you're under doctor's care for a heart condition. You had severely high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and two herniated discs. So. That's just to, to boil it all down, kind of paraphrasing what you said earlier. So this one sentence, man, let's just break it down really quick because it boggles my mind where you are right now and how this could be the same person. Um, multiple trips to fast food restaurants. What does that look like? So um, in the morning, I would typically stop at McDonald's and I would get two sausage McMuffins with egg and cheese, hash browns, and of course my ever-present 64-ounce Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're drinking a Diet. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to spike my blood sugar. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. <laughs> but um, so that would be breakfast typically, and that would be delivered to a very hungover, you know, body. You know, I was, you know, there's, you know, that being hungover and, you know, getting that grease was yeah. just, you know, yeah, I can't even... If I ever felt like that again, I would check myself in the emergency room immediately. But, you know, that was my morning. And then typically by afternoon, I would go to, you know, Arby's or Burger King or, or whatever. And, you know, it wasn't enough for me to just get a meal at those places. You know, typically I'd get, you know, like a double double Whopper meal and then like a double cheeseburger to go with that. And, you know, onion rings, of course. And, and then I wouldn't usually have dinner because at some point I would start drinking again. And so my next and final trip to the fast food was almost always McDonald's. And it was almost always right around midnight after I was already, you know, three sheets to the wind and, you know, just looking for that, you know, gluttonous, you know, finish to the night. And that, that meal was pretty much set. That was always a double quarter pounder and a filet of fish. <laughs> and, That's uh, a unique, uh... <laughs> And that was it. I mean, and that was, that was just the way it was for years and years. And, and, uh, I look back at it now and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of mind, mind boggling to me. You know, I, I, I'm sure there is a dollar amount that would, uh, someone could offer me that would cause me to eat a Big Mac, but it, it's, it's probably five or six figures. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and just to go back on the taboo thing, like I've been in health and fitness for, for my whole career. And one of the things when I would, when I would meet with clients, especially overweight clients, you know, I, I always wanted to make people feel comfortable with whoever they were based, regardless of what their goals were, you know? And, and one of the ways how I can do that is to eat normal in front of them. I'm not talking McDonald's, but you know, if you go out to, to dinner with, with a client, like I could have a burger, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, so just really quick to dispel any myths, like, 
people that are in health and fitness, they have weaknesses every once in a while. They'll, they'll eat fast food every once in a while. And, um, but that level that you're talking about right there, that's, uh, that's crazy. That's, that's a know, daily thing, right? Oh, absolutely. There, there was, that was every day. That wasn't three times a week or four times or five times. I and mean, that was, that was, that was every day. Um, you know, obviously there was, there was a certain compulsion and destructive nature to, to that behavior. And, um, you know, my, my eating and my alcohol consumption and, and painkillers and all that, you know, we're on the same, same path you know, and there was, there was a need, there, there was, there was a lack of peace. And and you mentioned coping skills and stuff like that. There was, there was no peace inside. So the only, the only way I had to try to create any sort of comfort or peace or calmness in my life um, was from the outside in, you know, I wasn't comfortable enough to just sit in my own skin and, and, and be there. So it was just this constant need of trying to, to, uh, you know, silence from yeah. the outside. No, it totally makes sense. Okay, so so we have your background. We have a little bit, bit about yourself personally, and your family. You know, you, you've got the three kids, and um, we're gonna move on to the next segment and use this background to, to kind of introduce how you got into running and stuff. So, um, athlete on fire is the name of the segment. I usually start off with a challenge from you to our listeners. So, uh, I want it to be fitness based because you're in the industry as well, and something really really hard would be great. Well, usually when when I throw those challenges out there to people, it's it's in the form of um, not directing them to do one particular thing, but to do something that they think they can't do, you know. And and I know that's kind of a a cheap spin on it, but there's so much wisdom and 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 power in that. And whether that's running a one mile time trial, which is what most people are the most afraid of, <laughs> you know, go and hang it out there and. It's funny because one of the big pieces you we hear from coaches and I'm a coach and I hear from other people all the time and it's this this concept of you know make sure you start out slowly and make sure you don't go out too fast and you know make sure you don't burn yourself out and obviously there's truth to that right but I think that piece of advice needs to be completely removed from the equation until someone has done exactly that yeah. until you have gone out too fast and have challenged yourself and totally flamed out and seen what that looks like then you can decide what going out is too fast so i just, mine is the one mile time trial you know just hang it out there and don't be afraid to go so much faster than you think you can oh i love it man and and, and you know what happens too is all of that back end advice is for people who have trained a bit <laughs> and they're trying to, to beat their old times and stuff. But when you first get started, you have no idea what it feels like, exactly what you're yeah. saying. So you need to know what that feels like to go out too hard. So Absolutely. You can fix it. Um, okay, so track or just uh, straight away? What do you think? Uh, on for a one-mile time trial? Yeah. Track. Track it up, four laps. Yeah. Track it up or even even use the godforsaken treadmill if you have to. Oh, it is godforsaken. Uh, and if you do, put a percent on there so you're not literally running downhill. Hey, sure. so um, what, what's your one right now? You said you said you're 43, right? Yep, going to be 44 here in about a week. And you're more of a distance guy, but what's your one mile time trial if you did it today? About 525, somewhere in there. Boom. Yeah. That's solid, dude. Yeah. I think that's that would probably beat me. I'm, I'm probably right in the mid fives. Somewhere in there. You know, I don't think that just because you someone is an ultra runner that that you know 
precludes doing speed work, oh, <laughs> especially if you want to, if you want to stay, I mean, we need all energy systems and, you know, absolutely. Well, we can't and, just train to our strengths, you know, and, and running fast is going to let you know a lot quicker where your imbalances are and your weaknesses are than running slow. Well, yeah. And it's a moving target. I think, you know, I, I'm constantly feeling that change around, you know, my, my hill running will, will get really strong and then I'll feel, you know, maybe a little, move away from my my faster runs and you know my my long distance pace and and it's constantly moving and i I think it's important to always kind of train to what's lagging behind yep well and look at like uh like michael wardian and ian charman some of these guys that are just really fast but they're doing some crazy distance max king yeah i mean these these guys could smoke the the short distance stuff too so don't get don't get confused here (laughs) that's right we have we all have limits right but but we realize that we kind of make those limits for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, just to just to get this this segment on the right track here, you, do you have a quote or a mantra that you kind of fall back on, or maybe that you give your your clients ever? Yeah, you know, my favorite quote actually came from my father, and he said to me that it's not the measure of what a man has, or even what a man can accomplish, that really defines him. It's what it takes to discourage him, so and to. To me, that's the ultimate test of, of is, is the ability to be fearlessly optimistic and positive no matter what's going on that would give you a reason to feel otherwise. That's a great quote. Your dad came up with that? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know what? That, that, um, that's really good for me because I'm kind of like a punching dummy. I, I just don't care how things go. I'm always pretty blindly optimistic and sometimes it gets sometimes it gets you in trouble a little bit but it's a it's a pretty cool way to live for the most part so I think it is too i mean what what i say you know my my own kind of version of that for me is is that you know i i say that happiness is the ultimate discipline yeah. and because it is a choice it, it is absolutely a choice but that doesn't mean it's a, a, a flippant choice you know it's it, it requires work and action but it, it is something that we have control over that's really cool uh, you know that quote might be just as good. <laughs> I'm sitting here writing it down. I come from a long line of good quotes. You can quote me on that. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, all this stuff's going on. You're, I mean, you're just in some. You're in really bad shape, man. Three twenty. How tall are you? Six feet. Six foot. Yeah. I mean, I was probably a little shorter than just because of gravity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the cartilage doesn't like to hold up three twenty <laughs> to six feet yeah. usually. So yeah, so you're just I mean, really just living in a haze, and uh, you know it's not good for you, and you know that it could lead to a pretty early exit of this thing we called life. So tell us what happened next. Yeah, I mean it's really hard to to accurately you know articulate how bad it was, you know, and. You know, it was just so dark and and so hopeless because I wasn't without the desire to change. You know, Um, I think that's a frustrating thing with people are dealing with other people in their lives who are addicts and they think, why don't they just want to change? Why won't they just, you know, wake up? And, you know, I think that every person who's stuck in that place, they do want to change. And I did. And I just felt hopeless to make it happen. You know, and I, I felt like there was some big secret that the entire world seemed to have about how to live life and be happy. And, and somehow I, I never learned it. So I mean, it was dark and it, and it was really bad. And I felt myself kind of um, giving into that, that belief that maybe it was hopeless. And that created this fight response in me that was like, okay, well, if you're going to give up and die, 
you know, you need to at least be aware that that's what you're doing, you know, and I didn't, I didn't like that. I, I didn't like the idea of just giving up and dying. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of produced that, you know, that was the bottom, the rock bottom for me. It didn't happen in any one, you know, wrecking my car or waking up in jail, although those things happened to me. It was, it was that internal rock bottom of, I didn't want to accept death, but I was really close to doing it. Wow. Okay. So then, then how'd you, how'd you get out of this rut, man? Well, I didn't know what to do from that point moving forward. Um, so the only thing that I could do was to just absolutely surrender to the fact that the way I was living was not the right way. And I didn't know what the right way was, but everything that I was doing at that point in my life needed to change. And I needed something that was going to produce a lot of leverage, you know, something that had to be, you know, the emotional stakes had to be high for me. And I, I needed to really um, do something dramatic and, and running, you know, was what presented itself. And, and I firmly believe it could have been any number of things. Um, it just happened to be running for me. And, and I think just because for whatever reason, I, I had that picture of the New York City Marathon yeah. <laughs> in my head from being a kid. You know, and I didn't know what a marathon was, what the distance was, any of that. But, but um, you know, I wanted it to feel like it was a worthy change and it was going to be a big, big comeback, you know, a big turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. So um, really quick, guys, if you're listening and, and you want to check out and you're around a computer or something, you want to check out what David's working on and his, his, uh, his charity is the supermanproject.org. You can learn all about him. A lot of stuff we're talking about gives a little more backstory. We're, we're going to dive into the, the deeper, deeper parts of these stories, of course. Um, but I just want to let you guys know that the supermanproject.org and, uh, you can follow him at we are superman on, uh, Twitter and superman project on Facebook. Just to let you guys know. Yeah, and if I could just just throw on to that too, that um, I mean, if anyone really wants to hear the, the the most intimate thoughts of the entire process of the change and what I went through, I, I wrote that in my book, um, which is out there, a story of ultra recovery, and um, that's 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 available there in print. Oh, <laughs> my, very cool. Yeah, and you know, I'll link all this stuff up to the show notes too, the book as well. Yeah, it's 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 doing well. I mean, my shameless plug will be that <laughs> it's a number one bestseller on Amazon, and it's been. Uh, um, received quite well, and I'm I'm pretty pretty proud of that. Pretty happy about that. Oh, that's cool. And you have Marshall Ulrich as your uh, intro guy for the book. He wrote, he wrote the uh, the foreword on it. Yeah, and he's he's been a, a what a blessing, a, just a great uh, mentor for me in, yeah. in all things. He's an awesome guy, and your all stories kind of I wouldn't say they're exactly the same, but there's some definite um, things that are very similar in his story. I was just looking at the, the link to make sure I had it right. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so let's let's get into that first run, man. When you, when you were deciding that this is what you're going to do, what did that feel like? <laughs> it felt like absolute torture, of course. You know, <laughs> Running is most certainly an acquired taste. It really is. And sure. I didn't have it. <laughs> you know, it was at that weight, you know, that running for me was was – impossible in in terms of how running is classically defined what i could do is you know jog which felt like an all-out sprint and i could maintain that pace for about 15 seconds and and that was really the limit you know i didn't have a slow pace and a fast pace there was just run or not run (laughs) and uh it was about 15 seconds and i'd walk for a minute and then i'd run for 15 seconds and i'd walk for a minute and you know interestingly enough you know being kind of a 
a numbers guy. I, I've logged every workout I've had since that very first run Whoa. until my run yesterday. And I'm so glad I did because I wouldn't have accurately remembered what it was like, you yeah. know, when I first started, if I hadn't done that. So it was a tremendous gift that I gave myself and, and something I recommend to anyone who's starting a new journey, especially, or, or even if you're in mid route to just start doing that. And it's, it's tremendous. That's really cool. And, and I'd say most elites or elites with coaches, they log really, really well because every little, every little variable is so important when you're trying to do something big. And I, I don't even think that's why you, you probably did it initially. You probably just want, you know, you probably just wanted to see progress. And everything was kind of an affirmation, you know, that I'd committed that I was going to be a runner and I wasn't going to be an, an alcoholic addict fat guy anymore. <laughs> and, you know, part of that was like, um, well, what do runners do? You know, we run and we log our workouts and we eat better. And, you know, it just kind of became a, a new identity that I, I stepped into because it was much more desirable than the one I was leaving behind. Did, did, did you do all this on a Monday? Were you like, okay, this Monday I'm going to start running and I'm going to start eating better? Or did you start running and then start eating better? Like, how, how did everything kind of come together? You know, that's a fantastic question. And I, I don't know that I've ever been asked that in quite that manner. You know, I don't remember what day of the week it happened, um, but it, it was the first thing for me was, was the, the big, you know, 800 pound gorilla was, was my substance abuse. And, you know, I had tried to combat my substance abuse through changing my behaviors in the past. I'd tried to, I'd even tried to take up running or, or working out more. And it was just a, a, a losing proposition because I always had that addiction and everything to deal with. So, um, I had to deal with that and sobriety came first. And, and even though they were only a separated by a couple of days, <laughs> the fact that the sobriety came first in my mind left me with the concept that as long as I was sober, as long as I wasn't drinking and using drugs, that I could do anything with my life. And in that vacuum, I'm going to run cool. instead of trying to make running change me somehow. Yeah. You know, like it was kind of all coalescing at the same time, but, but the, the, the biggest thing was I had to take care of myself and I, I had to be sober. Yeah. So instead of running, being the tool for you to get healthy, you're yourself, you were the tool, which is probably more empowering when it comes yeah. down to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, okay. So that's cool. So sobriety came first. So how long have you been sober to date? To date on nine years. Nine, nine years. years. That's awesome. Man. So you had some little dudes when all this was going on. They were, the, the twins were very young. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, you know, you start seeing the weight come off, of course, uh, like anybody does. D did you start eating well right after the sobriety piece as well? You know, there, there was probably a couple, you know, 10 days or two weeks lag period where, you know, I, I, I was, um, you know, addressing my sobriety and, and going to AA and doing some things like that. And I was started working out immediately. I started the, the, the run, walk, jog things. But I was really eating not as recklessly as before, but, but I certainly wouldn't say I was on a health kick. You know, I, was, I was still eating you know, junk-type foods. Um, and then uh, eventually I, uh, I made that switch as well and, and switched to a, you know, a, a protein-rich um, carbohydrate restricted diet but not by any means a uh, a zero carb diet you know i could eat as many vegetables as i wanted and and things like that but i wasn't really eating a lot of bread or refined sugars or anything like that yeah and that just makes um your body just feels so much better when you're running off of real fuel yeah staying away from pot I, even even in our house um 
just staying away from processed sugars and, and stuff like that is is always the goal. And even with two little young guys, you know, when when they go with friends or family, um, they're being fed different things. So it's challenging with little kids, but uh, but we make that a huge priority here. And if you guys just don't understand what that is, you can contact either one of us to to get into the the whole nutrition piece of of why that's important. Uh, so I, I kind of want to fast forward now because I, I think we've told your your past story pretty well. I, I kind of like talking about the future a little bit and um, you know what you're doing now as a runner, as a, as a business guy, you know your charity, all those things are really really interesting. And then talk about the the mental toughness and uh, that comes with ultra running and comes with all these things that you're doing. Like how are you staying mentally strong to be able to put out a lot of this this neat content that you put out? in the business and, and all this stuff. So just dive into some of that stuff right there. I lost you there for a second, man. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Do we have a little pause on Skyper? We did, yeah. Okay. I'll ask you I'll ask you again. Um so what what I was saying is I I think we've covered your past pretty well and, and kind of up to the point where you started running and getting healthy. And I think that probably led to where we are today. So uh, why don't you take a second and, and just tell us a little about, about what you do now, what kind of goals you have athletically right now, anything big coming up. Um, and then we'll dive into the charity and some of the business stuff that you're doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, um, not, not surprisingly, I, I have a lot going on. <laughs> In fact, this year, um, being my uh, my tenth sober year, my my tenth sobriety birthday will be in August. You know, I kind of wanted to do this this ten epic events this year, and you know, not all of them are races. Some of them are just going to be you know kind of things I'm doing on my own. But I want to physically do ten epic things that kind of scare me and and push me to bring my running to a new level. Nice. And then the other part of that too is like kind of the spiritual side of it is, it, is that I want to try to be as present in those events as I possibly can be. And so I actually call it my Zen Epic 10 <laughs> and 10 Epic events, you know, that all done, you know, in a, in as Zen a state as possible. Have you, have you told people what those are yet? You know, I have not even dis- defined those for myself. Um, yeah. but I do have some of them defined. And the first event that I have coming up is, um, uh, in, four days and that's the uh, rocky raccoon 100 it's the u.s national trail championship yeah down texas right down in texas and uh i have uh i'm going to try to run that fast and try to push myself to a to a a new pr in the 100 mile distance and that'll kind of be the kickoff for it nice that's where the uh i think that's where ian broke the trail 100 record in the states with some crazy time i cannot remember maybe 12 hours something it is it is yeah. yeah. So are you gonna are you gonna compete with that? Yeah, I'm gonna go for eleven fifty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just totally you know, joking. My, yeah, me too. <laughs> my PR in the hundred mile right now is eighteen hours and four minutes. So I'd like to be faster than that. That's awesome, man. It, well, it's, I, from what I understand, it's a pretty fast course. I've met the race director before. He's a really nice guy. Yes, Joe. Cool, good, cool dude. Yeah. So good luck with that. The weather should be good. It hasn't been too too hot down there, but it can it can switch pretty quick. So hopefully, it's not too bad for you. Yeah, that should be good. And then I've got uh, – I actually gave a crack at the uh, world record for the greatest distance run on a 12, treadmill in 12 hours. Oh. And I, I did that this this, gen, this or a year ago in January. 
and uh, I came up two miles short. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. But I didn't know it at the time. Someone had broken the record uh, three days before I did it. So. Oh, my gosh. What, so yeah. what, what's the record? Uh, 76.7 miles. Oh, my gosh. Something like that. And I ran 74.4. That's so, crazy. Yeah, I'm going to give it a ride on March 7th in L.A. So I'm going to go down to sea level and try to give myself a, a little better chance than doing mm. it up here at 5,000 feet. So. That's really you, you, 10%. You should probably be able to do that if you feel the same. Yeah, I feel stronger, actually. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so what else? This is fun stuff right here. <laughs> <laughs> then um, as fate aligned, I got into the Barkley Marathons this year. Oh, well, that's definitely <laughs> epic 10. Holy cow. Yeah. Tell, so people, tell people what the Barkley is and how hard it is to get into it if, if nobody knows. How do you do that? You know, it's, it's just it's – a, the easiest way to describe it is it's a race um, – designed to make the runner fail um <laughs> there has been 14 i think finishers ever in 25 or 30 years and it's uh it's a crazy eccentric race uh, it took me a couple years to figure out how to even apply for the race you know there's no website for it and you know there's the entry fee is a dollar 60 and a license plate <laughs> <laughs> and you're like you're literally going through the mountains with a compass and a flashlight trying to find books that are hidden in the woods and it's got twice as much climbing as the hard rock 100 so i mean it's just it's just a crazy crazy thing and you know it's a little discouraging to see some of the greatest endurance athletes of you know in the world go out there and, and fail miserably at it. So, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to go into it with that mindset. That's like, you know, I'm not going to go into anything expecting to fail. You know, I'm not going to show up there necessarily, you know, cocky expecting to finish either, but I'm just going to try to be present in the moment and keep moving forward until they tell me I'm not allowed to go forward anymore. Cause I ran out of time. Yeah. I mean, with those distances, that's probably all you can do. And the, the people who get in trouble are probably thinking about the next loop or the next, time they have to go up that same hill or, or whatever, whatever it is and wears them out. All right, yeah, so, the, the worst time to think about loop three is when you're on loop one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that, that happens coaching clients for 5Ks, 10Ks, you know. It does. Beginners especially. Uh, okay, so that's really cool. Do, really quick, though, do, do, you have a, do you have a philosophy or a, a style that you train yourself? Like what physically, what, how, how do you take care of yourself for these really long runs? Um, so for the last four plus years now, I'm actually a, a vegan. I adopted a plant-based diet. So I really am very aware of what I put into my body and, and very conscious of that, you know, and I think that since I've switched my diet, I've, 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 um, noticed a increased ability to recover from my hard workouts. So, but I, I'm always trying to take care of all three aspects. You know, it's that total mind, body, spirit balance that everyone's always talking about. And there, there's so much wisdom and so much truth to that, you know. And my spirituality comes from, you know, my recovery. And, you know, I'm always focused on that. And the physical pushing myself through training and through running, which I just view as a, a tool of self-discovery, you know, and then through nutrition as well. So, you know, I do a pretty good job at, at trying to keep those three balanced, you nice. know, as much as much as possible. Um, I'm probably right in the middle of the spectrum when you talk about ultra runners and mileages. You know, I'm not a 150, 200 mile a week person, but I'm not a 40 or 50 mile a week either. I'm, I'm typically around 80 to 100 miles, depending on what I'm training for. But I stay there pretty consistently year round. Nice. And, 
I usually don't drop below 65 or so and usually don't go above 100. So. No, that's really cool. Yeah, and I think people, when they want to see the stuff you're doing, just, just to have some numbers, it's always cool to compare and, and just get an idea. Yeah. Um, all right, Zen Epic 10. Are there any other ones other ones that you that you can think of or that, you've had, that you actually have planned? Yeah, I'm going to be doing Badwater again. Um, so I did that in 2013, and I finished it. And then I went out last year and, you know – <laughs> remember when we were talking about going out really fast and blowing up yeah <laughs> i went out there to try to to try to nail down a top 10 finish and you know it was it was risky to do that and i ran the first 50 miles really well and then ran into some trouble and, and um, actually didn't finish so i'm gonna go back this year and and uh try to uh try to do it better you know it's always trying to figure out how to do it a little better you know yeah for sure and then leadville of course i'm, I'm a leadville guy i mean that was that was my first hundred, and it was—it's a big part of my journey. And, and in fact, my book is in very much, in very many ways, uh, a, a Leadville kind of story. So I'll be back there for my sixth hundred-mile buckle, fifth hundred-mile run buckle. Nice, fifth and, and sixth—that's awesome. Yeah, I have—I—I have—I have a hundred-mile mountain bike buckle that I got kind of on a on a weird dare that I did the mountain bike back in 2012 <laughs> on a weird dare yeah <laughs> so many endurance uh first time things are from from bets my first marathon was on a bet of course and uh that's kind of funny all right what, what else you got Leadville Badwater Barkley the treadmill you're going for that record again I'm really trying not to think of them all at one time <laughs> <laughs> I've, I don't know if I can think of more than one from the list you have already that's kind of crazy you know, and and there's some more out there, but you know, I don't want to like try to obsess too much about scripting it. Yeah. You know, you know, so I want it to kind of be organic and unfold, even though I know I have these these things. Oh, I I, I forgot a, a really really big one um, is in uh, April, and I'm actually running the Boston Marathon uh, four times in a row. Holy hell! And that's a really significant thing because I'm doing it in honor of a local Boston girl who. Um, her name is Sophie Kelly, and she she OD'd, and she was very very young. She's a teenage girl, and oh, I um, read about her. yeah, I'm gonna run three marathons before the race. Um, kind of, my my concept is to do one for those who are still struggling, one for those who have found re, you know peace through recovery, um, one for the families who are out there dealing with addiction, and then one with Sophie's mom. Um, for her, which will be the official Boston Marathon. Wow, that's going to be powerful, huh? Yeah, yeah. Is there is there a message off of that that you like to share? I mean, just speaking to Sophie's story. You know, obviously there is. You know, and, and we can we can talk about addiction and, and life change and and you know add add infinitum. And the reality is when when you're talking about kids, you know they they don't have a real good perspective on life so they're they're so handicapped in the ability to really fight through something like addiction and so i think it's just really important that we impact their lives as much as possible from the prevention side of things and and even if it's to just you know <laughs> i mean our wish is right is that they never you know delve into drugs and alcohol but it, at least if we can you know keep them in, in active in, in sports and other things to to prolong that i mean as the worst case scenario that at least they have a better chance of of being able to navigate it a little more successfully because you know 14 15 years old you know you just you don't have much of a chance at that point you know 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's great. Okay. Uh, all right, let's go to the last segment. We have a few minutes. This is really pretty quick hitters. Um, Athlete-inspired, first of all, I think I know the answer to this, but is, is legacy important to you? It is, but not in the sense that I want to try to create it and design it in advance. You know what I mean? Like okay. I think that when we leave the present for what we want the future to be, we lose control of the only thing that we have to shape the future, which is right now. So I want to live the most authentic life and inspiring life for me that I can and and hope that that does create um, a legacy. Great. Good take on that. Um, Is there a book, a good resource? I I love resources. Even if you have a couple, that'd be great. Yeah. um, Rich Roll's book was was really impactful for me. Um, If you haven't heard of that, it's called Finding Ultra and Marshall's book. I, I read Marshall's book, Running on Empty, um, while I was in the sauna training for my first bad water. And it's funny because the heat like melted the glue. So all the pages like came out and then like re-glued back together out of the sauna. So it's it's like the most jacked up looking book, but it's my favorite book ever. <laughs> I actually had that one sitting right here. Um, and Yeah, definitely a good one. And if you don't know who Marshall Ulrich is, you just got to look it up. He's he, uh, I, I guess, pioneer would be a good word. He's he's a beast, though. <laughs> he is the Wayne Gretzky of ultra running. See, we brought it back. Oh, you brought circle. the hockey back. <laughs> How'd you do that? I don't know. It's a good. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, you know, this is the time I'll give you a chance. I think I think we've covered where to find you. But once again, uh, where can people find you? Where do you like to interact on social media? Uh, just take a minute and let us know. I discovered this thing called Facebook. Oh, yeah, I don't know if you've that. heard of it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I'm I'm kind of all over the place on on social media. You know, I think it's a tremendous uh, resource, and it's really connected us. You know, it's it's amazing what it's done. So I'm a huge social media fan. You know, um, I think like anything else, you can get too caught up in it and stuff like that. But you can find me on Twitter at um, at We Are Superman. You can even find me on Facebook through that same moniker. If you just look up David Clark's, there's a million of us. So, <laughs> Scott um, <Jones>. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, um, through my book, um, Out There, A Story of Ultra Recovery. Awesome, man. So those will all be posted on the show notes, guys. You can go to athleonfire.com slash 99 to find all that stuff. And uh, I'm going to kind of wrap it up with a couple questions here. This one is... Uh, going back to the first question I asked you, I want you to go back to the 15-year-old version of yourself and the one that was working in the family business, probably not having the best time <laughs> in your life, and give him some advice right now. Yeah. I would say that whatever you think your reality is, it's only there because you've created it. And there is a, a greater version of you out there if you just got enough balls to go get it. Awesome advice. Uh, those are those are words I'll probably say to my own boys when they get a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, so finishing up here, you have all this really cool stuff coming on, and you're a local dude. You're really close. You know, I'm I'm starting to do more Google Hangouts and stuff. I'd love to have you on again after after you start picking off some of these amazing goals. Would that be Would that be doable? I would love to. That'd be great. Awesome, David. So you guys. You have been inspired by David Clark, who's absolutely an athlete on fire. I'm Scott Ginger, host. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.